From America, this is the Adult Swim Podcast, Rick and Morty Companion Edition. I'm Matt Harrigan. With me, Maxime Simonet, and we're talking about Rick and Morty, number 406, Primordius. Hi, Max. Hi there, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm glad you let me be here. Glad to have you, Max. If you haven't watched it yet, you might want to watch it first. We're going to get some spoilers. You can get my mom's dish login and check it out. Is that how you watched it? Actually, Dean Shepard helped me out. Oh, okay. <laughs> you don't get uh, Adult Swim? Uh, I, I Well, now I've got some weird company login that lets me watch everything. Don't tell anyone. All right. Rick and Morty 406, Primordius. We're going to be talking with some folks who made the episode. Michelle Rhee is a background designer. Kendra Melton is a character designer. Brian Newton directed it. Jeff Loveness wrote it. They're all here now. Call them and ask your questions. 708-794-6386. Here we go. Welcome, guys. Hey, good to see you. Hey. Yo. Primordius. One of the reviews I read said, Rick and Morty plays around with its story structure again. <laughs> At the time, you can understand what's going on. What do you think? <laughs> Tell me about it. Tell us about it. Time jumps. Start us off. Somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it came from a place of, like, we wanted to, like, we famously, like, you know, story circle stuff, Dan Harmon style, Joseph Campbell stuff. Like, we don't do a lot of, like, nonlinear stuff. And so we we tried to think of a story idea that would facilitate that. And I don't know, it just came from a place of, like, I, we wanted to do, like, a Memento or a Rashomon, a little bit of Citizen Kane or, like, uh, a Dude, Where's My Car uh, hangover. <laughs> like, and we thought, like, doing like an alien parasite would be a funny way of getting into that. And that seemed to justify doing like time jumps and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's just something we, we had had in the back pocket for a while and we'd loved this DC comics villain called Starro. That was like, that was like the basis of it. We just wanted to make fun of Starro and, and it grew from that. <laughs> I think it grew like I, well, you, you guys go ahead. Sorry. Is this, it, it, is this the Royal we, or is this just you, Jeff? It was it was something Mike McMahon. I had seen a Batman Beyond episode when I was a kid, and just the thought yeah. of like, hold on, what has Superman been doing for ten years with that thing on? <laughs> That's basically you know what's interesting. Like, they they kind of use that premise in the Young Justice, I think, season one. Oh no way! Oh yeah. cool. Chat yeah. watching Young Star. Justice. <laughs> I just and I thought like there was so much satire to have, and I'll, I'll I, I talked too much in the last podcast, so I'll shut up. But like there was so much satire to be had, and like do face huggers have their own yearnings and dreams? And like, they're always just such the bad guys, but we thought we'd give them like their own little vignette in the middle of that. But yeah, it just came from a place of wanting to fuck around with, with a nonlinear storytelling. Before we started, we were setting audio and getting ready and stuff. And you guys were talking about the time jumps and you were talking about how many rebreaks you did. Walk us through, yeah. what's a rebreak? A rebreak uh, happens a lot at Rick and Morty. I think train, it, we, we rebreak it, you know, when, once it's gone to art, but before it even goes to art, we rebreak it in the room, you know, the story. Who, who knows times. Yeah, yeah, the story. It's a way of like, there are certain beats we try to hit, try to make sure we're on structure, trying to make sure, you know, it's a lot of trial and error to see what characters are working. You know, is Jerry's story about flying? Is Are we hitting the right beats there? Are we playing a game where we're doing like some anti-beats, like the cat stuff? Uh, Glorzo was, uh, yeah, like we just, we played around a lot with it and like how, and we, at first we didn't go back to the home planet for a while. I don't know. Like these things go through well, 10 different versions, but, uh, yeah. And I can tell you the version we got when we started yeah. on the board, which was the first half of the script was the initial like Rick and Morty wake up under the 
explorers though and have to figure out what's going on and that was sort of the first half they get back to earth and they were uh beth asked where's summer and they're like oh shit <laughs> and they have to go all the way back you guys had finished rewriting that last half of it and i remember one part of it was they come back and summer's just waiting there and they have to retell summer's tale and then there's another part if you remember the nazis <laughs> rick basically inspires which yeah. is Charles inspires all the Glorzos to turn like alt right Nazis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, it was like a thing of like Rick accidentally dug his own grave because his Glorzo became a piece of shit, which is that's sort of in there, but we dialed it back. Yeah, yeah like And then Glorzo and then I think that version also had the actual 911. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I guess the truth should come out here. I have to confess, yeah, there was a uh I think that the earliest version of the script, they did actually do 9-11 because this was the only time they'd be able to get away with it guilt-free. And yes, I think on the uh, art side of things, you guys said, I mean, rightfully so, it was, I, it was too bleak. We, we, had, we, had a, we have a couple of board artists, who some of them are from New York, who are like, I don't feel comfortable working on this. Oh, <laughs> wow. For that reason. So there was a protest internally. It, it, nah, it, was, it was a big deal. It's just kind of a concern. I think we actually had someone on our team specifically who actually was like, no, it's totally fine. And they had gone through it and their family had gone through it. So oh I think God. there was kind of like a split decision on that one. I yeah. never knew that. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and from the writing <laughs> point of view, we had a long debate. Like, is that, yeah, yeah, it came from this place of like Star Wars violence or Marvel movie violence. Where, mean, like, in a the lot point of, of it's clear is that they're being complete assholes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that they're like disregarding these people's lives because they're like devaluing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like bubble wrap. Exactly. Oh man, but yeah, we, we went through so many, and then and then we had the debate in the writers' room of like, okay, what's the right line? I'm like, okay, nine eleven is too soon, but what if we subvert that and go with Pearl Harbor? It was a long, lot of debate. You had a too soon conversation about nine eleven. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of nine eleven talks in the room. I don't. I, this might make it onto the show. I don't know if I should. <laughs> We had one in Snakes. We In the Snakes episode, we were going to do a 9-11 beat where they had ruined time so much that accidentally Abraham Lincoln Snake was saved from being assassinated, but he went through a time quake. It's like Lincoln accidentally did 9-11, I think was was a joke that we had. And like That was the only way to fix the time stream was to make Snake Lincoln do Snake 9-11. But yeah, we've gone through I can, I can tell you. When you when you when the writers rumor when you everyone gets stuck on a tangent, it permeates the whole show. Because how yeah. many times did Nazis get mentioned this one yes. season? A lot of yeah, Nazis and cum gutters. I think this is the season of Nazis and cum gutters. Cum gutters is great. <laughs> yeah. You're on the line with the Rick and Morty Companion podcast talking about the Academy Award winning film Parasite. Uh, what's your question? I was wondering, um, when coming up with a character concept, do you usually a uh, traditional sketch or is like everything digital? Uh, we always do everything on a Cintiq nowadays, so everything's digital. We work within Photoshop. Um, sometimes we'll use the animation timeline uh, if we have like a really fancy special pose. Um, for Glorzo specifically, we had um, parts where you know they're getting they're birthing, they're getting impregnated, whatever, all of that stuff. And we had to actually design each of those poses, you know, where this guy's just like losing his ass, basically. It was just like Pfft. so. Uh, yeah. We use Photoshop very thoroughly on the show with our Cintiqs. Thank you. How about those anime robot suits? Walk us, uh, how did those come through? I mean, a bunch of people just uh, of roughed out fans. some concepts. 
Yeah, the, at one point the Glurzos do transform into giant monsters in an early draft. I don't remember that. Oh, wow. My mind has been turned. <laughs> because initially, uh, another reference, I remember we talked about this. It was going to be uh, Last of Us, that it's like a parasite, and it's, they slowly yep. like transform. Yeah, and so at one point, they were going to be like full like fungoid monsters. That's they, right, yeah. They gestate into the eggs. There so. was, that's right. We went, I'm so sorry to the art team. We made you, yeah, there, we were <laughs> going to have more steps. And, and then we simplified it from where like, oh, they just get the thing and they shit the egg. It was going to be, <laughs> they get the face, then it goes through the basic xenomorph. Like they burst out and they're carrying the bodies and they become right. a monster. But that seemed to, oh, like we thought, no, make it dumber. Make it like, they're just like this hive mind thing that shits eggs and, and like summer breaks it open. Yeah, yeah. but you guys, I mean, you really, your art, over the, I feel so bad that we made you re-break so many times because you did such good work every step. That's Michelle, our entire life on this show. Don't worry about it. Michelle, is this a hard <laughs> show for you as a background designer? I mean, what a beautiful, intense episode. Is this a hard, is this harder than normal for you, this one? Or is it I rewarding? Say, I would say this episode was the hardest one of the season, but I, it was definitely rewarding seeing it come out at the end. Um, yeah, because we just had so many, like the cold open was super crazy. And just doing all those pans for that was, it was a lot of fun. And, um, but people definitely broke their backs for this episode. So, well, and I, I think a lot of those backgrounds so came in on the tail end of, on top of that, like, you know, as they break and re-break and like, mm -hmm. there's a bunch of new additions. I think a lot of those pans came in towards kind of the end, right, Michelle? Yeah, it, it was we pretty much had to take a break for a little bit and then just kind of reassess and then go back on. To what do you mean you had to take a break? Um, with the re-breaks, we have a lot of time. Uh, there, there's just time that takes in between these uh, backgrounds. So you pretty much need to wait until things are uh, approved and then you can start working on these again, just to be a little bit more efficient with backgrounds. What triggers a re-break? Is it you guys just decide to pivot the story it's not going where you want it to go i'd say it comes from like probably dan and justin like they're kind of the final voice in this stuff like yeah like you can write a draft but then like you've got you've got dan in the final edit bay after boards or whatever and then like you have justin who's so improv improvisational and so like it you can have half the episode you can have the back half rewritten by the time it comes back <laughs> so like there's like there's so much rebreaking, but then i'd say most of the changes would you guys agree kind of come from that final it's that final round with like Justin and Dan where they really shake stuff up. And that's yeah, it's where they're, they're fine tuning everything. Yeah. They yeah. put their own voice into it. Yeah, especially since they're not always there with us on the launch. So we kind of go off on our, on our own until they look at it and say, hey, we had these ideas. I'm like, oh, I wish you were there from the beginning. <laughs> but you guys start without them. We put some of that in the Glorzo. We put yeah. some of that in. I tried to channel some of our frustrations oh. through that one guy. I, I, I read that part of the script. I'm like, that's totally Dan's voice right there. <laughs> it's that one line that Morty has when he's chastising one of the Glorzos about changing the plan to invade uh, St. Glorzo's the Earth. And he's like, I didn't, I, I didn't know it was just, I'm just telling you, you know, do your fucking job. You didn't look real busy, that kind of thing. I'm like, I've never heard Dan say that, but I can totally imagine Dan saying that. <laughs> it came from a place of a, uh, I yeah, I wrote that 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 was a very organic place that came from. <laughs> I tried to side on the side of the art people for that one. You're on the line with us talking about this one. Why don't you tell us what you heard awesome. about it? Um, I just want to know where did Jerry beekeeping 
come from and uh why does that make jerry insanely more fuckable right uh this comes specifically from a writer of ours called james siciliano who is i think wrote uh it's going to be episode nine or something and he wrote the he wrote space snakes uh he was on draft for that he got really into beekeeping and he thought it was the funniest goddamn thing in the world <laughs> he he just became obsessed with beekeeping and he knew so much and we all fought in the writer's room it's such it's so rare in the modern age for someone just to have a tangible analog skill and we thought this is the sexiest thing in the world just james <laughs> knows about bees man and like he's just on top of it and we we I, and like i think i threw the bees thing in there as the biggest toss away i think there was a version where jerry died from the bees <laughs> oh we weren't gonna talk about that oh no <laughs> there was good there was going to be a tag where, like jerry, everything's the same Oh no, did I ruin it? Oh, like, they come back, like that that whole adventure happened and they look outside and Jerry has been eaten by his own bees. That was, mm -hmm. we, like, we, just we bordered that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now that the cat's out of the bag, like I love that part. I love yeah. the thought of Jerry just dying but, over and over and us just having yeah. to do that, but yeah. But like the, the way we, you guys revealed in the script, if I remember, is like, we don't see Jerry die. We just find out like Jerry suddenly has a lizard tongue. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because Rick, yeah, Rick saw the body and like Rick replaced Jerry. And but like the joke was that like he's run out of replaceable Jerry's. So now they're all, yeah, like this Jerry had a lizard tongue. But he's like, well, like the, the yeah, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel of Jerry's. <laughs> but I think the fuckable thing, that must have been, I think Dan or Justin, I don't think I wrote the fuckable thing. So they must have, you know, they, they like bees and they gave Jerry a win. <laughs> But it's all from James Siciliano uh, being a, a fuckable beekeeper. Siciliano. <laughs> I'm going to have to bother him about that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please do. When talking about the backgrounds before the show, uh, Michelle, and those big pans, you're you were, you were talking about almost the lore that's written in the setting visually oh, yeah. more than even said, that there's layers upon layers of the parasite existing on top of an, another civilization you almost have to invent you want to how much do you get to just invent that and have a proof of concept of like this is a world you want to see um well uh we had a lot of concepts from our art director james mcdermott as well as some of the background designers and background leads like robbie Irwin and vincent um fans sorry fans sorry um but we um pretty much the idea was that it was originally a old mining uh, alien planet that had been taken over by the Glorzos. And so when looking into how James was designing these mining um, designs, I was actually looking into a game that my husband really likes and Robbie really likes, which is uh, Destiny. And a lot of those designs actually went into what was the base of the Glorzo planet. And then Putting on top of that, I really liked how James was thinking of this mucusy kind of yeah. membrane circling around. So I was thinking about like octopus egg sacs or kind of placing these big like egg sacs around the whole place. Like, yeah. And then it, it was a lot of fun just thinking about mixing Destiny with Star Wars or the base of the planet and then putting those membranes on top of it and just showing more history of what that planet looked like before Rick and Morty pretty much fucked it all up. 
interestingly enough, and this maybe this is an unintentional parallel my mind drew, but we were talking about the beekeepers. There was something up so the world felt so richly drenched in honey almost, which m- made me think of like a giant hive. Almost like a hive of it. Yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, is well, that was an intentional parallel, I mean, or is that one of those just fun things you accidentally find? Oh, man. I don't know how much we can say. There was a whole beekeeping script that we had that we lost of like Jerry's bees go out of control and take over the world and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there, there have been many versions of this stuff. But I mean, yeah, all, all of the art people, uh, you guys are f- far more knowledgeable than I am. But like, yeah, just uh, drippy mucus stuff. <laughs> oh, I remember one conceit was even initially in the board phase that the Glorzo planet was literally like an asteroid that got like was used as a construction base, and then literally the Glorzo, Glorzos attached themselves to the construction planet. So it's like, it was like techno, it was a space on top of technology on top of Glorzo tech. I think yeah. that was always the conceit behind how we initially did the boards. And then yeah. background took it where it needed to go because we suck, or at least I suck. Yeah, the color always helps all of our artwork sing. So, yeah. you know, you can never appreciate the color artist. You know, every part of the process really matters. And, you know, I'm we're very fortunate to have such a strong team on every level. It's wild. Yeah, color in particular. Yeah. Like, I, I write comic books as well. And it's always like, it's like that when the color comes in, yeah. it like makes it really just come alive for the first time. I mean, it, it's it's such a magical process every step of the way. You're on the line with the Rick and Morty Companion Podcast, talking about honey traps. I'm Mark. Uh, I'm an animator. I'm wondering, this is kind of a question for Jeff specifically, but I'd love to hear everyone else's takes. Um, as a screenwriter, uh, do you have any advice on starting like a, a writing practice for someone who wants to generate more ideas for like... Yeah, yeah animations i guess specifically like do you have a, a practice outside of rick and morty um and and do you have any I, I'm, I'm trying to write more <laughs> and, and i'm like yeah. advice. I, I love uh Parman story circle and stuff like that so yeah yeah uh no any, any advice and yeah the art people feel, feel free to chime in it sounds like you've got two good options right you're a writer and an animator so i would say you know, I got, I didn't, I didn't get my start in animation. I got my start more in like live action comedy, but I would say just try to make stuff with your friends and, and try to make short form stuff, like a short film to kind of show off your style, I guess. Um, like wh- when I was, a, when I was younger, I made like short films and I put them up on YouTube and I would share them around. Um, on the writing side of things, I would say just get into a good daily cycle try to write, you know, whatever's comfortable for you. If it's five pages a day, if it's two pages a day, just try to build something until it's done. And I don't know, like mm-hmm. I, I'm maybe on the art side, you guys can give more advice of like, but like just try to build your own specific voice and practice it over time. Realize that the first couple of things you make might not be the best, like, but keep with it and try to hone down on your voice. Um, it'll take a couple tries, but like just, I think consistency is the key and try to, try to find your your own voice both vocally and you know comedically but then also through the animation side uh maybe you guys can give advice here i'll, I'll defer to the, to the animation and art yeah game. well um, depending on what video games your boyfriend's playing you might get some great ideas right right on, <laughs> but i would definitely echo his sentiment though finishing projects is most important yeah. uh you need to learn how to wrap things up that's like the hardest part in the entire industry is yeah. a lot of people fail on act c 
<laughs> like everyone needs to learn how to end their story properly. So I, I'm just going to echo the same thing Jeff is saying is basically if you want to keep pitching, you want to create new content, you need to find your voice because we've all lived a different life. We all have different experiences and you need to draw from that. And then that will make you better and more sellable because you're selling yourself mm -hmm. to the company, whether you're trying to be in a writer room with Jeff or you're on the animation end. like either way, you're bringing something special from you and no one can be you. So what do you bring that can make the company money basically is where you end up being <laughs> in that whole situation. But the more you do it, the more you finish. And like he said, short form is actually very like the best way to go when you're starting out because you want to just finish it, get it done, move along because all of your first stuff is going to be your worst stuff. So you want to get all that bad stuff out of your uh, out of your consciousness the quickest you can. You know, you want to get to the meat mm -hmm. and the better you can get you'll you'll learn how to refine it as you go and yeah. so the more you finish the faster you'll get better kendra this might be a stupid question but in your background what's like the analog of like finishing the story if you, if you were when you're building a portfolio or training like that uh well i mean if we're specifically talking for character design so like if i was putting together a character portfolio i'm assuming that's kind of where you're maybe i don't know that. i told you it might be stupid <laughs> mm -hmm. oh uh well yeah. i mean for character design portfolio we like to see turnarounds like <laughs> i mean we're we're more we're more of a very different place but at the same like in the same voice though you are bringing yourself to those designs you know like whatever age you are, whatever you're into, whether it's alt culture, whether it's like pop culture, it doesn't matter because your voice matters. Like I have friends who could tell you everything about what's going on in pop culture. And then I have other friends that will be like, oh, did you go to that like crazy weird party the other day where all these ulti people were and everyone had, so like all those voices, when you mesh them all together in a room or in a design, it doesn't matter. Like the different voices matter different voices matter, period. So whatever you can bring that's uniquely you is going to help you. It doesn't matter if it's design, writing, it doesn't matter what part of the process is. You need to bring who you are because you can't fake it. Once you get there, you you, you have mm -hmm. to do a job. And if, if you don't have something to pull from, you're not going to be able to succeed. Wow. Yeah, these are amazing answers. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> yeah, thanks, oh. man. Yeah, good luck. Now call in next week with what you made. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Can't wait. Wow. You guys as a show uh generated a tremendous amount of content and dispose of it. So Yes. Yeah. You don't seem pre well you, it's a it's a you, you don't seem precious with stuff, but you're also very particular. Yeah. For me personally, I'm from illustration and so we actually are very much taught like it's not your baby. Like this is not about you. This is about your creator, whoever's in charge of you, you're trying to get them what they want to see. You're just trying to facilitate the creative process to visualize what they need. And so it doesn't matter what the writers or Dan or Jeff or even Brian, you know, wh whoever needs to see something, I'm just trying to facilitate what they want. Like, it's not about me. And I feel like a lot of artists, especially production artists, which is what we fall into the category of, uh, we're not here for our ego. We're here to just make what they want to see. So, you know, if I have to go through 30 rounds of a drawing to figure out what they need, that's my job. And like, it, why would I have a problem with that? <laughs> and, on, and on the writing side, it is yeah, an ego thing to where like you have to realize, <laughs> whereas like you may have pitched an idea, but it, maybe it's like, what's the best version of the idea? It's so, like the 9-11 yes. thing we were just talking about. Like, 
I think I pitched, yeah, like that, that thir- first thing out of the gate was like Rick and Morty do 9-11 because this is the only <laughs> chance they'll have it to do it. Maybe that's a funny joke, like it landed well in the room. But then when we saw it in art, we realized, oh, like visually this is too heavy. So we had to come back and have a discussion about what's the best version of this joke. And then we found what I think is a really funny like third option in there where they bypass 9-11 and do Pearl Harbor. That was not my first draft. And in fact, like that took a lot of breaks. So like as a writer on the, on, like to supplement the animation side, you might have, you can be yeah. precious about something, but you also have to find the best version of it and you yes. have to whittle it down and experiment. And like that, this episode is a great example of that. Well, it's a lot of, like, uh, Jeff, in that moment, you do get to have a compromise that lets you at least feel like as though you're one yes. of the germinating seeds in that idea. Are there ways, oh, especially yeah, yeah. Kendra, since you talk so much about, making sure you show yourself as a visual artist and putting yourself into your work and show what you bring to the table. Do you manage to find through the countless revisions a way to still feel like you're weaving uh, something that's coming from you and an expression of yourself? Or do you feel sometimes that your job here is almost exclusively for the creators and maybe you have other outlets for your own expression? I mean, <laughs> this this job is uh, very mentally taxing. <laughs> so at the end of the day, uh, I'm on Animal Crossing. <laughs> but, well, that's a form of expression, though, right? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, like, I'm digging, you know, a hidden garden right now. But <laughs> that's well, my. Think, but but my on side, the other, you know. <laughs> but I remember specifically, like, I think collaboration, especially in these anime, I like to break the auteur theory as much as possible because, like, I remember specifically Brian on this came in with like on the idea of like the Glorzo love story, like Brian came up with a specific idea about like the closeness of the shots and like the intimacy of it. And like, I, I think yeah, as a writer for that last question, like as much collaboration as you can have, like hold on to what you love about something, but also open it up to where like everyone's going to add stuff and make it better. And, and uh, that, that's the fun of this show. And, and I can definitely bridge the two ideas. Cause like, yeah, I, I definitely understand and agree with Kendra's position where it's a job and I do a job. You yeah. tell me what you want and I do that. But as board artists and as in, in directing, it's also an ego. So it's like, we want to present ourselves, our crazed ideas and how we communicate your story. And so like that specific sequence was done by uh, Sam Gray. And she did an amazing job with just that interaction, just making it like tense or romantic <laughs> before they actually start yeah. hugging. So it's like things like that. It's finding the right people to do the right, uh, the right, uh, say the right job. We all have our own strengths. It's just like an animation. You know, there's some people that are great with the subtleties and the facial acting and all of those things. And then there's other people who are great with like the action and like, oh my God, this guy crashed through a wall. And then, yeah. And the the visual language that we can communicate with. Like I remember on the goddamn, uh, the Meeseeks episode from season one, like that was my first time working at Juan and he happened to be my, uh, one of my boarders uh, for that episode. And we read the script, we launched the script and then immediately the cold open and we were like event horizon is like, yes, cool, do it. And that's it. That's all you need. We all read, we all saw that movie. So it's a vision of a, a shared language. It helps. Jeff, can I hear the difference between how you were picturing it beforehand? And then when uh, Sam, Sam Gray, took it to this next even tighter intimate uh-huh. level because you're like oh it sounds like they pushed it somewhere else visually than you expected but i, I want to oh, know how right. that 
I, I think it's, but that's part of the joy. Like they elevate it. Like sometimes in the script, especially our scripts are so dense. You have to be very um, economical with your word choice and like the action dialogue. So like I, if we had a phrase, was it like artists go nuts or something? That was in the writer's <laughs> like we, God. It became, it became a running joke. Maybe it went too far. We're like, sometimes for the, for the economy of the script, if you want to keep that script to 38 pages, you kind of give references, but then you let the animators and the storyboard artists kind of bring their own selves. But I always try to, uh, I always try to put in lots of references and I think you lead with emotion because yeah, when you, you say what's happening and you endow it with like what you want the feeling to be. But I'm a very like, I'm a words based person. I'm not the most visual person. So that's where you lean on the board artists and the directors to really like, hone yeah, in on exactly what you're saying so this I, is this happens to be a visual medium so we absolutely yeah, yeah yeah and like i mean like i i can pitch like oh it's like this uh call me by your name james baldwin novel giovanni's room type of thing and i get mm -hmm. i give like the I, I know james oh he's the best yeah you yeah. so i give like the emotional place maybe a couple of touchstones but then the art team really elevates it and specifically hones in on like the visuals it's it's really fun Michelle, were you about to say something earlier and I cut you off? Oh, no, I was just mentioning how, like, uh, I was just going to go off with what Brian was saying, where um, we do, especially with backgrounds as well, we like to put a little bit of ourselves into the backgrounds. So depending on which background designer does it, um, like, personally for me, I'm a big fan of the show, so I've been placing a lot of Easter eggs in the backgrounds, just secretly. Is that is it I fun for you to see? Them, yeah, tell us some Easter eggs because I've seen. <laughs> there's like YouTube videos that break down the I know, 78. I watch those. Oh my god! And you're I like, yes. Well, tell yeah. us some. Tell us some. That's why I miss not doing design. I miss doing Easter eggs. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of it is like props in the background, or like some of the posters, or um, things to call from another episode from the first season. That's sort of thing, where it's jokes that are running. I think one was like. I had reference from actually Dan Harmon's community. I forgot what I referenced. Oh, it, it's, yeah, I, I had referenced the Dan Harmon thing about uh, butts and faces and hands and feet, that sort of thing from the Halloween episode. And so I've been placing it throughout all the backgrounds. So good luck to the fans. <laughs> have, they all been, have all of your Easter eggs been discovered? No, not yet. Do you want to give challenge. us one exclusive reveal right now? I can't say. Give it just gives us this time code. <laughs> a lot of her eugenics theory. Oh yeah. Her, yeah. <laughs> There's a guy at Stupid Buddy Animations who threw one of our fish center fish secretly in the backgrounds, and I don't think they ever noticed. How many of yours go completely unnoticed by the people who are like overseeing you? Do they comb really fine details and quiz you on each one and tell you to take out some? Well, sometimes I'll actually reference those shows in the backgrounds as well. So I don't think they notice it. Yeah. And so I guess now that I'm saying it, because I haven't told anybody. I've just told it now. Dan, Dan has never come in and say, oh, this community fucking Glendale thing. You got to cut that out. <laughs> that's that's her exclusive. Michelle sneaking uh, Easter egg. That's a big privilege. I used to do that in background as well. Yeah, but that was on it's Super a lot Jail. of fun. <laughs> yeah. On Super Jail. Yeah, I used to do backgrounds with Super Jill oh, with a long Christy. time ago. <laughs> yep, Christy yep. wouldn't come in and scream at you? No, he bought me a glass of wine on my first day. <laughs> he said, you look right. like an alcoholic. Yes, basically. No. <laughs>
Hey, you're on the line with the Rick and Morty Companion Podcast. We're talking about television. What's your question? Go ahead. Right, I didn't want to interrupt. I was enjoying it. I was trying to figure out a question to get the most information that I can out of the writers. And it might be a little bit cryptic, but I think they might get a kick out of it, right? What is the source code of Rick and Morty? What do you mean by source like, code? What's the... So, if I were to, like, start an answer, it would be, like, if you... Every time you add a character, unless, like, explicitly they are dead, like, killed off, then you can revisit it. Maybe my, my version of the answer... And, like, again, I'm just a writer. Like, I'm not I'm not Dan or I'm not... Mm-hmm. Just a writer. I'm not, like, the nucleus of the mm-hmm. show. But like, what I try to think of when the show, and season five especially... Mm. This show is basically at its heart a sitcom, but it's a sitcom that you can have fun with the complexity of it. So like when I'm thinking of an episode for the show, I try to think of like the most Frasier level sitcom idea mixed with the most like uh, Ted Shane or like Neil Gaiman or Grant Morrison level high concept sci-fi. And I think the sweet spot of this show is getting those really good sitcom comedy beats in the most open source form possible. So like, I can't talk about next season, but like, yeah, Glorzo is like, dude, where's my car with face huggers. You try to just have like a low co- uh, entry level idea that, that you've seen on a sitcom w- mixed with like high level. And then through that, you try to tell what's the meaning of life or what's the, you know, what's the chaos of life, I guess. And that from a writing perspective, I always try to come in low oh. with some complexity on top of it. Yeah, for the Glorzo, I think it's one of the the bigger themes is violence. Yes. Like when we go overboard and like yeah. how we view violence and how we view the terrorist or whoever we deem yeah. as like an other or a villain. Mm-hmm. Jeff, <laughs> you should include yourself in the list of high concept people. You keep bringing up all these. You're the one creating high concept situations it, now. Yeah. It was just something like, I think I was watching some Marvel movie or some Star Wars where I'm just like, did I'm like, did just a million people die in five seconds? You know, like did like so like we I wanted to make fun of that sanitized form of violence, like Brian said, where like violence is never good. In fact, but like blockbuster movies, they kind of condition us to like, well, it's good because they were bad. It's like, well, in what war has there I mean, like they're you know, I wanted to humanize basically I also also think it's a very American thing too, because like I was literally thinking about the fact how we like sex is like oh my god don't show kids some titties but like oh you can show their heads blown off yeah well it's like a european concept versus like american concept like europeans are more okay with sex and nudity and then americans are a lot more like oh no oh my (laughs) i was just talking with someone from ign tonight who said that they can show heads blowing up in doom on their videos but can't talk about sex yeah exactly Glorzo especially, like, there's no, there's no, the, the entire metaphor is that there is no metaphor, and it's just the chaos of the 21st but, century. But, but, yeah, but I Glorzo, we're also dealing with sex as well. Yes, yeah, the yeah. birthing yeah. sequence, and like, is it too soon to have a child? Ah, oh, live your life for a while. Chill out. Just not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Don't rush. That's what I love. I kind of love Glorzo in the fact that, like, you can put a lot of metaphor onto it. Like, it is, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, it's like American foreign policy, but it's also like, yeah, like, sex determinism it's also about like empowerment but it's also about exploitation when you're empowered like it's i love summer's story in a way is almost like she's like ms monopoly like like she (laughs) she like she gets to succeed but at the expense of rick and morty and then like i I think there's a lot of 
is an episode that I really love how it's not, no one's clean in this episode. Like oh, yeah. everyone, the best part like, of that. like Rick and Morty are assholes, but then also, you know, they got <laughs> fucked over by the Glorzos, but the Glorzos were trying their hardest, but at the end of the day, they are face sucking parasites. Like it's a very, like, I think it's a, I'm really happy that the episode makes you feel a little gross because that's what it is to be American in the 21st century, right? Like there's no, there's no escape from our complicity and our guilt, but what do you do with it? You know, what do you do with the fact that like, we all have iPhones that are made by people who probably don't like making those iPhones for you, you know? No, and and African diamond mines. (laughs) Right, right. Well, you're talking about how you can project upon the Glorzo any metaphor you, you see applicable yeah. to the real world. But I'm, I'm curious about the almost literal inverse in the decision to – because when they're in parasite mode, of course, you know, you want to showcase your star. But they all talk as their original host. Yes. How much of the personalities are meant to bleed through? Because something I enjoyed about this episode, and I think I also enjoyed about – like the Citadel of Rick's episode is there's big swaths of it that even though we're hearing the same voices, it's new characters. Yeah. Well, uh, incest. Yeah, that, that was a part. Of, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. It's indirect so incest. incest coming up. Yeah, in, indirect incest. With like with the condom. I, I, that was a big part Just of the wait. I wanted Just to, wait. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to, that was a place like in the midst of all this violence, I wanted to give like a Romeo and Juliet or like a Giovanni's room or some like 1984, like some small romance in the middle of all the carnage because no one wins in these situations. And I just wanted to, yeah, I, the, I, I, I mean, just thought it was very it's a tragedy funny. ultimately. It's a tragedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a tragedy and like because everyone was an asshole and it's, including the Glorzos, you know, they're both kind of assholes, but they found this small release through love and connection, but it was too late. Like that, isn't that just a call for all of us to like, you know, enjoy the love you have while you have it and don't let the world break it from you. That's my take. That's all. Yeah, that's this, that's this <laughs> that's, rooster's that's take. That's his take. Shit. That rooster. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the line with the Rick and Morty companion podcast. We're talking rooster. Hi, it's uh, it's the same caller again. Oh, uh, I, I have a question, I guess, from Just Answer, if I, if it's okay. Go ahead Go for it. He, he said it was like a sitcom or something, and I felt like yeah. at least America, there's always been like one big cartoon sitcom, right? Before yeah. there was like Simpsons, and then there was like Family Guy, right? And I, I don't know to disrespect, of course, they're they're great shows too, but you know, and Stones, come on. <laughs> But would it be fair to make that comparison, but instead of like in now, like way all the way through, like step through like to infinity and that's sort of like where it's just going off with it now. And is that a fair comparison? I, I mean, that that's very kind of you to say, like I can only speak for my take on the show, but that's where I'm at. Like I felt like I was writing Simpsons like season five or so I, I just wanted to I love the Simpsons so oh. much it's my favorite thing but like I, I found this show oh go ahead go ahead sorry. yeah I, since I've been on the show since the pilot so longer than just about anyone yeah uh the the implication that Justin and Dan had when they started on the show was that it was supposed to be a family sitcom with crazy sci-fi like on top of it so the sitcom formula was already built into the cake and Simpsons was definitely a big reference though at the time we were trying not to hire people who had worked on The Simpsons because he didn't want it to look like The Simpsons. So at least visually, we want this. Yeah, we want the aesthetic to at least uh, feel different. 
Uh, but, you know, I mean, Dan's world is also a sitcom world. So he definitely yeah. understands the implications. Like, mm. he doesn't want to do the same tropes over and over again. And he wants to use those tropes to say something new about our society. I think mm -hmm. that comes across why a lot of people like Rick and Morty. Yeah, yeah. I think and from like just a writer perspective coming into a show that was popular existing, you know, I came on season four and five. I think I looked at it as the way, whereas The Simpsons explains what it is to be like an American family around like nine, in, in its prime, you know, like 1989 to about 1999. South Park represents what it's like to be a, kind of like a shithole libertarian kid in like late 90s or mid 2000s. Family Guy is just like extemporaneous, like everything. I found Rick and Morty to be like, yeah, it's sitcom, but it's also postmodernism. It's the choice. It's like the excess economy to where like you have, you can do anything at Rick and Morty. Not even like Simpsons, South Park. There's different flavors to it. Yes. Rick and Morty, you can do limitless things, but you have to also ground it in a sitcom. So I found it to be, as a writer, is like a really beautiful challenge of like you. You need to have relatable things, but now you have. A limitless canvas you know you just don't have to do principal skinner stories but you 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 can do you can do like your simpson principal skinner stuff but now you you just have you have the world basically so it's a really it's a really hard challenge but kind of beautiful too but yeah i hope like i mean and like you know simpsons is something so dear to my heart but i i that, that's a nice thing to say thank you but rick and morty is like a really big sandbox basically yeah <laughs> As an old guy, I'm like, are we just forgetting the Flintstones? <laughs> <laughs> what about the Jetsons? <laughs> it came after, yeah. Justice League Unlimited from the '90s X-Men cartoon for me is my. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you. I heard you last time. You were also correct. good. So, true Pornhub learns your kinks if you have an account. <laughs> Where did that come from? That was, I, I, uh, I think that was a last minute. That joke got longer and longer. At first, it was yeah. in the cold open of just like, oh, the, the algorithm learns your preferences. I think that was just me. And then either Justin or Dan, it just like the joke kept going. I and remember I, the first draft of that didn't have that extra bit, like, yeah. like conceding, like, all right, all right, I'm sold. That wasn't <laughs> in my, that came like maybe the third draft, Dan. I think so, yeah. I, I, I've learned that I've really, it's been a humbling experience for me too, is like, you pitch a joke and then like you get that joke, you get that laugh, but then there's always another zig you can have or another connection. And like, and then the art, the art team brings in an extra layer to it. So like get those ideas on the page, but, but open yourself to the possibility that there's better jokes and there's better versions and there's better journeys for it. Yeah. Um, and that. nothing's precious. Like you guys mentioned last week with the story train episode, that whole <laughs> coronavirus bit. Like we saw that last week. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I read every I read every version of that episode. It's like now we're that topical. People yeah. are working on Sunday's episode now, yeah. presumably, right? This coming Sunday. Oh, Is that possible? It's the odds are likely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> and then, Not then you like guys. That, that corona thing. And then on the flip side of that, I wrote that monologue about capitalism in like April of 2019. And yet, I, and even when I wrote it, I'm like, well, is anyone going to care? It's like, oh, whatever. But then like that week is the week with all that coronavirus, like let's get people back to work. doesn't matter if they die kind of ethos. Yeah. And I was thinking like, holy shit. I wrote that Rick monologue about the bleeding jaws of capitalism, April, 2019. So, and then this week, it suddenly becomes very relevant. But that's, a, that's a buttress like what Kendra said about like telling things are like, to you and these are just yeah. observations you had about the world that you put into the script it turns wild. out you're 
you've you've noticed some things about our society. <laughs> They've been singing about this since the seventies. There's nothing new. It's just yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think with animation, especially, like it does take so long to make this stuff. So try to like try to hit something timeless that you can. Don't don't make like Kofefe jokes and stuff like that. It'll be, it'll be done in ten. Kendra, it's kind of hard for teenagers though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when designing a parasite, uh, were you flapping together? And 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 any time when you guys are doing something that is kind of this is a reflection of a a trope or an idea or a genre. Uh, how do you try and differentiate yourself? Like, what's your first instinct when giving them a design to be like this is a face hugger that's you know it's a face hugger, but it's not fucking alien. It's not this. Well, I mean, this isn't specific to your questions. It's kind of adjacent to your question. Um, while we were creating these specific, like the Glorzos, um, there was this whole thing about should they have claws? Should they have like, you know, nails coming out of the feet and the hands? And there was a whole thing. And Justin was like, oh, my God. But then they're monsters. But they need to just be like fungus. So like we kind of went more with like a cordyceps direction. If you know what cordyceps are, they're like a type of fungus. And so you'll notice in some of like the special poses and like the way they give birth that um, a lot of the little dangly bits that are on them uh, are actually growing as they birth. So um, the cordyceps are basically fungi. And so as they're giving birth, they get bigger and then they pop. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's like a little thing that you probably don't notice. But uh, if you go back and you look, yeah, a lot of them are growing. In so order they're to like code fungus them as less aggressive? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. it was like they didn't want it to be monsters per se. They wanted it to be more like this is growth. And if it was to like if if they took it off, maybe it would come back out, you know, so like they could suck it back in. Whereas like if they became more monstrous, like maybe they couldn't convert back into their normal original selves. Um, that got talked about at some point throughout the process, but like, yeah, yeah. during a lot of special poses, we'd be like, wow. Yeah. This episode <laughs> actually went through a lot of design while we were boarding it. So yeah. like the initial concept of the Gorzo, they were always going to be face huggers and kind of like starfish esque because of Starro. Right. But, uh, there's one initial design. They were always going to have one eye, but initially they had no mouth. So we actually boarded half the episode with no mouth Gorzo. So when they talk, it'd just be like Optimus Prime or just like, the sacks jiggling and that's about it then i remember at one point justin wanted to see mouths on top of them so it's like okay now we have to go <laughs> mouths and then that's when they're still kind of fungi growth coming out of the the host body and then like all right no more fungi growth and you have to do that so it's like in pro and like another conceit to this episode i think jeff may have talked about before is that we're we were trying to use as much reuse as possible because it was such a heavy episode specifically yeah. on backgrounds but also just on animation and chaos we use a lot of the similar alien designs and then just attach the glorious on top of that to reuse and save on design and animation and then we have to make the conceit is like all right are they going to transform the monsters no are they going to have fungal growth not initially so then then we just added mouse to give different character so things evolve in this medium and especially on this show yeah they, they evolve and then they simplify i think that this is a marriage of like art and writing to where we realize and i'm this is perpetually my mistake i throw so much in there and like i i at the in the guise of like oh yeah rick and morty it's a complex show let's throw a lot in here but i think the simple like, as much as you can simplify then the clarity comes through and like yeah we took out that entire middle life stage yeah we took out all and like we took out the fungi it's like no just make them just make them simple creatures and then the simplicity of that. I'll say this for the record. 
I, I initially I was like, you guys sure you want that? <laughs> yeah, I do too. That's always my, I need to like pitch something and take it down three. And, and like, that's what I'm really trying to get at. It's my perpetual lesson of just like, keep it simple. And then it's much more efficient. Um, in some of these episodes, you know, have uh, a plots and B plots or last week had a through Z plots, I guess. But uh, in this one, it was more of like there was one main world and one main setting and one main vibe. And how, Brian, does that affect divvying up the work? Because I feel like last Ooh. week they were talking about, oh, yeah, we have all these flashbacks and side flashes. We have different board artists on different scenes. But you have to kind of create a consistency, maybe. Does that change your process yeah. a little? Uh, another episode I directed last season, which was uh, Vindicator uh, 3, uh, had a similar – it had no B-plot in that episode. And what I learned from that episode is that that was actually one of the have, uh, the harder episodes for the animation and design crew to do, because uh -huh. normally when we cut to a B plot, we return to a familiar setting, something that's reused either like the school or the house. So we can like kind of like ease off on backgrounds, ease off on new characters. But that episode was 22, 24 minutes of all new locations and all new characters. So it's a lot. And so Ant-Man. Oh God, Ant-Man. <laughs> That was mainly Our what million like, ants. Kind of, <laughs> was a million yeah. ant man for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> I could talk about that one. We should, we should they, uh, just for your podcast record, we should do back issues at some point. But, uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah, for Glorzo, we were trying to reuse uh, incidental characters for the Glorzos, uh, the Glorzo hosts, but then the backgrounds are totally new. So that first half, I think the only reused background is literally the kitchen. Yeah. in this episode yeah. yeah 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 everything is totally new on this which just eats up so much time and eats up so much money and like uh you're mentioning like uh vance and the others before i just every time they come into me and talk about like a new background i could just see like the, the, the fear in their eyes <laughs> yeah yeah it's just like uh do we have to do this like giant pants and all this action sequences that uh i think it was uh, Samantha, Eugene, and Doug, Douglas Olson had all that sequence and they had to redo that several times. They did an amazing job and the backgrounds look amazing too. Just these artists are things go nuts. <laughs> yeah, that's an artist go nuts situation. These are things when you're working on like a high concept show that's an action show that usually bumps up the count a lot. And, uh, most traditional uh, animation sitcoms, if you notice like Family Guy and even Simpsons to a degree, is more of like simple staging and like reuse of like a uh, uh, quagmire's house uh peter's front yeah. front lawn the interior of the living room so you're reusing locations over and over again that is not a conceived no. yeah especially for this episode yeah, yeah it was like you did the first pass then you had to do the second pass where it gets destroyed and i think uh, a lot of oh, us yeah. use that energy to really destroy that city <laughs> <laughs> just go to town at it <laughs> yeah. yeah i wish we could just give you guys like uh lead torches and sledgehammers it probably oh, we... <laughs> such guilt. i have such guilt <laughs> well and also on top of that despite us using like some of the people from like the spa planet and i think we used a race from like uh heist con from this season as well like it might be reused, but like none of that was reused. We had to redress everything so much that they were new designs. So there was really no reuse, yeah. <laughs> even because, in character. Because a lot of people don't know Rick and Morty is, is a digital animated show yeah. uh, that we have to create rigs. So anytime a new character shows up, we have to rig them, construct them, and then 
construct them sigil I'm pretty uh, sure we did 14 point turns on uh yes. the Glorzo and like an up view where it's like just normal and like the head's like oh. yeah. I also did one where it's on the ground and there's a 360 of it spinning so character <laughs> did a lot of work too. but there's not somebody telling you to do this right this is you guys deciding you want to do this or, well no we have to do it so have to do it for the animators because the animators don't get to like just make it up as they go like they right. need assets to work on well, but Matt's saying what if you guys just decided oh, you're only doing 10 point turns from now on? Will Justin ever know? Uh, usually that that's part of the negotiation process between the creators and production and the artists uh, side would usually fall on the production side. And once they make those decisions, they, they want to see these things. You guys have a unbelievable work ethic across the board. We have oh, amazing. You should keyboards. see it. <laughs> we, I can't believe how hard, all of our team has been working during COVID. Like, yeah. it's amazing. Like, you guys should see all the season five stuff we're working on. It's badass, man. Like, you're going to have your minds blown. <laughs> Is it easier to be on your own? I think it's kind of similar. It's really not super different because even at work, you know, you get your assignments, you go off and you just kind of work in your own little space for a while and then you submit it. So honestly, for artists, this isn't really affecting us too hard, mm. fortunately. But at the same time, like I considering everything that's weighing on everyone's minds, like I'm so impressed with our team and how hard they've been working and how many hours they've been putting in and how much amazing work I'm seeing. Like it's I I cannot like everything our team is doing is just fucking hands down amazing. And Max, I'm so proud of applause. everyone. OK, yeah. Uh, yeah, specifically um... for design, because they don't <laughs> they don't get a break. I can attest. All right. We don't get a break. Everybody else gets breaks. We don't get breaks. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, we got. One last caller. What's up? Your last question of the night on the phone on the Rick and Morty Companion podcast. We're talking about turning. Hey, guys. Uh, I was just kind of wondering, you know, like what percentage of the creative process is really trying to like, you know, push the uh, envelope with the show and, you know, break sort of the character stereotypes and move the story forward in new and inventive ways. Yeah, yeah. I think this episode is a good example of like, so like the last episode, like story training is a completely narratively broken experimental episode in this episode i would argue like even as me like the writer i'm like okay we did a pretty like crazy meta one let's just do a solid like a to z adventure but then it's like well people have seen the a to z adventures like the simple like purge planet or the you know the, those those um a to z stories so we thought okay what's a new way to do a what's a way to do a classic adventure but to subvert it and to throw it on its head and do like non-linear stuff. So I think it's a constant, like you want to give people what, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, you always have to push it a little bit and, and you, because the minute you stop pushing it, then people will say the show is dead or the show <laughs> hasn't explored things. So I don't know, man, it's always just about like hitting what you like and experimenting and, and, and pushing and then making sure you do a Pearl Harbor instead of a nine 11, I guess. <laughs> As you try to as you try to find the balance, but yeah, it's all just about pushing it. I actually have an interesting question for you, Jeff. Is the fact that you came up to the show season four, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's like you had seen the show before you came on, so you had an expectation yeah. before going in. That's unique compared to like some of us who've been on and we just don't have any expectation. We're just right, like, yeah. this, this is the show, and this is what we do. And like when we put on the artist side, at least on the board side, I have to speak to that. It's like when we push the boundaries, it's just like what we think is funny and what right. is funny to us 
And like, if we're grossed out or if we're like, think something's like juvenile or over the top or funny, we will try to put that in because we think that's what the audience might respond to as well. Yeah, yeah. I, th- and I think from as, as being like a fan of the show coming in here, but also but also at the very same time, a new writer and supposed to you, you have the responsibility of putting in a new perspective and new blood. I think it was a part of me of like, I've done this a lot with Rick, too. There's a side of Rick that I, I kind of love the weird emotional side of Rick or I like Rick opening up to Morty like when they're shooting everybody or I like Rick asking Morty to give him a little kiss in the last episode like the train thing I I think I I wanted to come in because I think there are some we have you know there's some fans of the show or there's some images of the show I wanted to to forget that that's his grandfather so like a little emotional moment between a family member is like I I think my (laughs) contribution to the show is just adding a little bit of odd rick emotion to it like in the fact that the show has gone on for many years now so i wanted rick to like strangely open up to his grandson or hat I, I just wanted to i think as a writer you want to do what works well but you also much like kendra was saying with art you want to bring in your own perspective so like me i just there's a lot of bible references and 90s x-men in there uh, ever since i come in <laughs> rick and morty number 406 primordius there you have it. We know everything about it. Michelle, Kendra, Brian, Jeff, thank you guys for coming on. Go watch the episode if you haven't watched it. Now you spoiled everything. Spoiled everything. Jesus. Join us live next Monday at 10 Eastern on AdultSwim.com or the Adult Swim app and ask your questions. Good or bad, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. Matter to you, Max? No, matter. Your name's Matt. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Subscribe to the Adult Swim Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Adultswimpodcast at gmail.com. Call with any requests, comments, criticisms, whatever. Thanks to Christina Loringer for producing this episode, and special thanks to Steve Levy for organizing all of this. And thanks to you, the listener, for listening. <laughs>